Hello and welcome to the St. Francis Sunday Sermon Podcast for this, the Feast of the Pentecost. Today we hear from the Reverend Beth Sherman in her final sermon after seven amazing years of service as Rector of St. Francis. Our heartfelt thank you to Reverend Beth from all our parishioners. We will hold you in our hearts as you begin your next journey. Today's podcast features musical selections from the St. Francis Choir handpicked by Reverend Beth, including Psalm 104, This Little Light of Mine, and Lord, You Give the Great Commission. As this final special treat, we hear a homilette from the Reverend Bob Kostler as a lovely tribute to the wonderful Reverend Beth. Have a lovely week, my friends, and as Reverend Beth reminded us, you have everything you need to do what you are called to do. Be well.
trip with me. When she and I went to Yugoslavia back in the 1980s, when it was still actually Yugoslavia, we rented a car in Belgrade and planned to drive to Sarajevo and to Dubrovnik. At the car rental um, agency at the airport, they gave us a map that should have gotten us to our desired destinations. However, the problem we discovered uh, once we were on the road was that the map that they gave us used the Roman alphabet and absolutely every street sign was in Cyrillic. <laughs> so the maps were essentially useless. And so we navigated for the most part without maps. For me, this notion of navigating without maps is an apt metaphor for this life of faith, particularly when we examine the day of Pentecost, which we celebrate today. <clears throat> A bit of background. <clears throat> Our lesson from Acts takes place in Jerusalem, where one of the biggest festivals uh, for the Hebrew people was being celebrated. It was called, not oddly, Pentecost, or Shavuot, the Festival of Weeks. It was a festival that commemorated two things, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, and the completion of the grain harvest that they had begun at Passover. So, because this was a major festival, Jerusalem, in, in our story, was packed, was packed with uh, devout people um, from many different countries, and therefore foreigners from many places who spoke many different languages. In our lesson, we hear that the followers of Jesus were gathered with the disciples when suddenly something strange happened. The wind of the Spirit blew upon them, and divided tongues of flames poured forth upon everyone that was gathered. The disciples flowed out in the street, speaking in languages that they did not know, proclaiming the good deeds of God. And bystanders recognized their various native tongues being spoken, and they were awestruck. Uh, and many of them turned and became followers of this God. In that moment, those early followers were, of Jesus were sent forth empowered, emboldened uh, to preach the good news. Unbridled, they followed where the Spirit led, but they weren't always sure what the next destination would be. Sound familiar? They navigated without maps. This newfound force of divine inspiration and power propelled them exuberantly into the world to proclaim by word and deed the news of Jesus, the Messiah, to everyone. Yet, it was, it was a, it was a, the word that comes to mind is hyperkinetic. It was this hyperkinetic moment and one that literally pushed them into the unknown. Yet, in spite of that great unknown, and I want you all to hear this, it was clear that they had all that they needed. 
like them, so do you. You have everything you need to do what you are called to do. One of my favorite novels is To Kill a Mockingbird. It's in my top five. It also happens to be one of my favorite films, uh, shot in black and white, beautifully shot um, with Gregory Peck. The man who wrote the screenplay is a Texan named Horton Foote. And Foote was actually more famous for the myriad plays he wrote over a lifetime. And a while ago, some time ago actually, I heard an interview with him after he had just turned 90, a few years before he died. In the interview, he was looking back on all that he had seen and known. And I have to say, one of his comments from that interview particularly captured my imagination. And this is what he said. He said, it, it used to just kill me when certain things that were beautiful died or were torn down. I never wanted anything to change. But if you don't make peace with the changes in life, it will break your heart. If you don't make peace with the changes of life in life, it will break your heart. In our scriptures for today, what we see is that for the followers of Jesus, there wasn't time to look back or to hold on to what was. Big change was afoot, and the Spirit was calling them forward into new places and new ways to experience and share the love of God in Christ Jesus. In that moment of wind blowing and fire burning, they were literally pushed forward. And guess what? On this day of Pentecost, that same wind and fire blows in full force among us. And I want to testify to that because the can one of the candlesticks twice fell off the altar at 8 o'clock. <laughs> Once during my sermon. So you, too, inherently know what to do. Allow me to say that again. You also know inherently what to do. A flame of the Spirit, and as you face big change, you must remember to lean into the love of God, support one another, in yet another liminal time and keep moving more deeply forward, more deeply into love, more deeply into service, more deeply into trust that all shall be well because God is in charge. God has this. And that means that you are and always will be tethered, held, and never alone. I keep repeating myself, but I, I feel like I have to. Tethered, held, and never alone. One of the things I've enjoyed while I've been here is occasionally going and I think leading these two uh, optimistic 
mean, it's like, get ready for anything to be asked of you. And, and I was there so they could ask me anything they wanted. And Riley, I'm sure, remembers this. So the, we had kind of an interesting discussion, and then the zinger at the end was, so why do we have to come to church? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We ran out of time. <laughs> Today we celebrate 
not just the outpouring of the Spirit, but the indwelling of the Spirit, which literally means union with God. And with union comes the belief, the recognition, the knowledge, the experience that absolutely nothing can separate us from God's love. In times of great change, we, and I do mean we, not just you, but me also, must remember this union, this oneness we share with God, and literally sink into that and trust that. And in my favorite words from Dame Julian, remember that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Let's say that together. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. With the Spirit within us, and outside us beckoning and cajoling, how can we lose? Amen.
Instead, your hearts are filled with sadness because I have said these things to you. It is not my intention to preach another homily today, especially after listening to death. I decided to quote today's gospel because today is bittersweet, and the departure of someone beloved by the community is always mixed with joy and tears. It seems like such a short time ago when I first met Beth. It was during our previous rector search. My job was to assist Beth as she presided as part of the discernment process. I could tell that Beth was nervous, but there was something essential deeply spiritual about her, and we had a lovely service. Later, I was pleased that the search committee had chosen them. When we choose a rector, we as community take a risk, a leap into the unknown. But we are not the only ones taking chances. The would-be rector also takes a leap of faith, not knowing the community that he or she is to serve, lead worship services, service counselor, and organizer. As a congregation, we often have a one-sided view. Like us, Beth took a chance, leaving community and friends on the East Coast to make a go at it in San Francisco. My guess is they felt the same sadness mixed with joy that we now feel. Beth easily slipped into her role as rector. But she will tell you that this role is never easy. She probably had no idea that among the many jobs she would undertake, that she would become plumber-in-chief and deal with an aging, overly sensitive physical plant and septic system. Death leaves a mark on our community, bringing back the great vigil, creating new frontals with our children, celebrating the true joy of Easter with a flowering cross. She led us quietly, confidently, and with a steady hand, which is all we can ask for of any leader. Personally, Beth and I share much in common. The love of deserts. Monastic silence. Liturgy is well done. And the whole chaos brought on my children a Christmas pageant. <laughs> she also has shared with me her curiosity and fascination with our Indian cultures. And I wanted to share this with her as she prepares for her next sleep and revisits calling this chapter. Frank Fools Crow, the ceremonial chief of the Western Teton Sioux, had the following to say about healing. We are called to become hollow bones for our people and anyone else who can help. We are not supposed to seek power for our personal use and honor. What we are, what we bones really become, is the pipeline that connects Wakantanko, the helpers and the community together. This tells us the direction of our curing and healing work must follow and establishes the kind of life we must live. We have to be strong and committed, otherwise we will get very little spiritual power and will probably give up the curing and healing work. The lessons we are taught by our human teachers, as Stirrup was for me, stressed that the traditional way of performing a ritual 
terms of what this teaches the entire community. This community must continue to know that the walk in Tantra and helpers are always with it, and that it need not be afraid. I believe that Beth was hollow bones to this community and for her tireless work and service to 